Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Global Change Agents with me, Liana Brinded, the Digest Edition, a podcast brought to you by Yahoo Finance UK. You can watch a full version of this interview by heading over to yahoo.co.uk forward slash change agents. Joining me today is Karen Blackett, OBE, one of the advertising industry's most powerful executives. Karen serves as UK country manager at WPP, the world's largest marketing services group, and as UK chairwoman of Mediacom, the UK's biggest media agency. So Karen, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. We always like to start right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So you were born and raised in Reading. I was. And tell us a bit about your childhood. So look, Reading is known as mini Barbados um, because so many people from Barbados sort of descended to Reading in the early 60s. And um, I think I'm typical of most sort of second generation immigrants um, of West Indian parents that... My mum and dad didn't know how to navigate the UK, but they were really aware of all the opportunities that bringing up a family um, could have in the UK. And it was myself and my older sister. We were taught about the power of education and to study hard and work really hard, which we both really did. As a really young kid, I remember I was fascinated by the TV in the corner and loving the ads just as much as I did the programmes and trying to come up with what I thought were better ideas for the advertising, thinking about the casting, thinking about what they were trying to say about the product. But I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was a career. I didn't know how you even navigated into that. So I studied what I really loved, which was geography. So I went to university, University of Portsmouth did geography. And then when I came out, I started trying to find my way into the industry. which, you know, that was the early 90s, so it was, it was difficult. Lots of rejections before I managed to get my way in. So part of that journey, like you said, is forging your own path and following your passion. Mm. But have there been any moments or people that have really been a pivotal point for you or has really helped you, or has it been all yourself? Look, I think, uh, and I talk a lot about this, that uh, I think everybody needs cheerleaders and everyone needs a sponsor. Um, When I started in the industry in the early 90s, what success looked like in terms of the people running the biggest agencies in the industry at the time, it was predominantly uh, white middle-class men. Um, Our industry was rife with nepotism that you saw so many people's sons, daughters, clients, godsons, all coming into the industry, that it was difficult to, to get through and to break in. And those cheerleaders and sponsors were absolutely the people that helped me. So absolutely there was a lot of hard work, but hard work on its own isn't enough. It should be, but it isn't. So 
I had cheerleaders who were there who were the people that encouraged me, some of them from within the industry, some of them from outside, but we'd walk similar paths. So people that I would just meet at training courses or at conferences or at events that I was at that we just clicked and got on and there was chemistry. So they knew me inside and out and those moments of highs of my career, they'd be there, lows of my career, they'd be there to prop me up and keep me going. But also sponsors were so important because those were the people that could speak in the rooms that I did not have access to yet. So who could speak about my talent and what I was capable of uh, if I'd be put forward for working on a project or working on a new business pitch or working on a promotion. So cheerleaders and sponsors are really important. And, you know, I talk a lot about having had a life coach for over 15 years, and I have. Um, and I think in those moments where you lack self-confidence and self-belief, and we all have them, I think maybe Donald Trump's the only person that doesn't have that, but uh, those moments a life coach has helped me through um, to sort of give me the verbal slap that I need to tell me to, you can't yet, to make sure that I keep a growth mindset. At what stage in your career would you say having a life coach, like if you knew about it, would you have had it um, a lot earlier in your career? Or do you feel like it gets to a point where you reach a certain seniority and that life coach needs to challenge you and help you out? Look, I think early in my career, it's about absorbing everything and it's about learning. So um, a saying that my dad used to say to me all the time was two ears, one mouth, use them in that proportion. So... At my earlier stage in the career, it was about listening and absorbing. And then as I became more senior, you speak up, you make sure that you step forward. So earlier in my career, I, I don't know there would have been a need for a life coach, but then it gets to a point where you need to make some decisions about where you want to go, how you want to grow, what you want to do, what your legacy you want to be, what how you can, can have a happy fulfilling career and personal life as well and manage everything in your life and for me that sort of came in uh, when I was marketing director level so uh, yeah around about 15 maybe a bit longer 15 or so years ago. So when you get to that stage where you've got that rich personal development um, as a, a major leader you have then the ability to influence it back down what kind of things that uh, the company or in the wider industry have you installed to try and make that trajectory for everyone better? Uh, I was fortunate that when I took over running Mediacom, when I was CEO, the person before me had been a brilliant woman, Jane Ratcliffe, and she role modelled for me what it was like to be a working mum. So um, I was very conscious that when I got into a, a position of leadership where I could really make the decisions and influence what culture could be and the environment in which I work and the industry in which I work, there were some core things which are important to me. First of all, making sure that our industry is family friendly. So I am a single mum uh, to a nine-year-old boy. When I was promoted to run the largest OPCO, Mediacom, where I'm still chairwoman now, uh, Isaac was not, he was just two. Um, and I was a single mum. Uh, and so it was making sure that I was as good as being a mum as I was as being a CEO and that meant that you needed to have more family friendly environment. How we entertain and interact with each other and with clients. So again, uh, which is typical of our industry, lots of golf days, 
were prevalent um, in terms of ways of interacting with our clients outside of an office. So I bought in some family-friendly days. So you'd go off to Legoland in the summer and you could bring your family so that they could see what you do at work and your kids could actually enjoy it as well. Or Easter egg hunts that we'd do as well. So brought that in. So that was really important. But then a real focus on inclusion and diversity. Because when I started in the industry in the early 90s, it was very male. Uh, and it was very white and it was very middle class. So really looking at social mobility, really looking at all forms of diversity is important. And I talk a lot now about belonging as well. So diversity is, you know, getting more people who are different in a room and that being celebrated. Inclusion is about that difference, having a seat at the table. But belonging is about all of those people that are different actually having a voice and it's listened to. So a real focus on sort of diversity, inclusion and belonging to make sure as an industry we're representing the UK because the UK is a beautiful fruit salad of people and we're trying to change behaviour or grow brands which means that we have to appeal to everybody in the UK. That's, um, that's fascinating and I think it's fantastic that we are as a society as well and I think in wider world of work companies are really, really starting to get to grips with diversity inclusion mm. and then this added extra now of belonging mm. because that is something different, that's more of the heart where the rest is, you know, it's all, all in one ecosystem, yeah. right? Um, but one thing that I think is definitely important is to um, go back and just compare to what it used to be like. Were there any moments or key moments where you're like, wow, this has to change because mm. of your personal um, career trajectory? Look, I, I have been fortunate that I had brilliant parents that sort of helped with self-belief and self-confidence and also prepared me. So Reading, brilliant mix of people in Reading from all walks of life. Um, when you go into the ad industry, though, very different environment. And look, my mum and dad knew nothing about the industry, but what they knew was that I'd probably be one of few. One a few women in a room, definitely one a few, if any person who was non-white in a room. So they sort of told me, get comfortable being memorable because you're going to stand out. And, you know, gender reassignment and skin bleaching are not things that I was looking at to try and blend in. Uh, I was sort of told to celebrate my difference because that allows you to have a unique viewpoint and I think that helps with creativity and I think that is a business imperative. It's not about just a nice thing to do, an altruistic thing to do, it's actually about future-proofing your business. So, um, you know, I had people that helped me find my voice, helped me speak up and I wouldn't worry about being the only one in a room because I knew that was going to be the case. doesn't make it right, but I knew that was going to be the case. Uh, but not everybody is comfortable celebrating difference. Not everybody's comfortable with you being different to what the perceived norm is. Um, and look, had anybody ever said anything to my face about my gender or about my ethnicity? No. Behind my back? Absolutely. Um, I could see sometimes, you know, when you'd be speaking to somebody on a phone and they'd not met you before earlier in my career and then you'd meet them, you could see the visible shock on their face when they realised that you were black. <laughs> so you could sort of see it and you could see them trying to mask it. 
but then I always say let your talent shine and I just carried on with the work and the job that I had to do and you know it doesn't become an issue because actually they've got a talented person working with them or working on their business but you know there have been occasions where and, and you know that the story that I do tell which was a pivotal moment was um, uh, probably about 15, 20 years ago, a pitch that I did where I was the business director, so I would have been the person that would coordinate the account had it come into the agency. So I would have coordinated all the different activity and brought in and gelled the team and led the team. And we didn't win the pitch, and it's a small industry, and the other agency that won took the clients out for dinner to thank them for the business, and did exactly what I would do, which is, you know, find out, use that as an opportunity to find out information about all the other agencies that had pitched and what they did. So you get a little Pretty bit of competitive that. analysis. <laughs> and uh, the two clients, two men, white men, sort of said, look, you know, the agency that I was at, they were good, they were really good, but there's no way we would have had a female business director, let alone a black one. And that's, that's hurtful. Because that's about me. Yeah. That's not about the work. It wasn't about the presentation. It wasn't about the chemistry of the team. That was personal about me. And I would be lying if I said that it didn't hurt. Of course it did. It really hurt. And I then felt really guilty. I felt really guilty that I'd lost the agency, a piece of business. Um, and then I got really angry. Uh, and uh, so I was upset, hurt, and then I got really angry. But then you realise, look, if we had won that piece of business, I would have been forced to work with these people day in, day out. And there's a brilliant um, study by Deloitte University about covering, about how people change their natural selves in order to try and fit in with the mainstream at work and progress and 61% of people cover that's 66% if you're a woman and it goes up to 79% if you're black 83% if you're gay if we had won that piece of business I would have had to try and cover to try and fit in with their mainstream work culture and I would have been miserable because I would not have been able to be myself and for whatever reason I would not have been able to please them it wouldn't have been about the work Whatever I did, it wouldn't have been good enough. And I just would have been really unhappy and miserable. So, you know, that is a point where I use my life coach quite a bit. That's a point where I called on my cheerleaders. Um, and then you get on and realise, actually, it's their loss. And I do believe in karma. And those two individuals left that organisation not on their own accord within 18 months. So I do believe in karma. But I also believe other people can recognise talent. So you sort of need those people around you to keep you going and then you win other accounts, you help grow those businesses and, uh, you know, karma happens. Well, I think something that's highlighted there, and like you said, is about the talent letting your work shine through, mm. as well as having that support network. And clearly your passion for advertising is so evident. So what would you say are the favourite ad pitches that you've... Oh, God, there have been so many over 25 years. Um, look, the, the one that really stands out, which I think was pivotal for my career, um, and God, when did we do it? 2002, 2003, so a while ago, was for Wrigley's, which is now part of Mars. Um, and that was just 
that was just creativity being allowed to be unleashed, um, not just in the answer to the brief, but how we expressed it in terms of the physical space as well. So, you know, at that time there hadn't been much pitch theatre and we did a load of pitch theatre. Uh, for that brief to really bring home what our strategy was and what the strategic platform and thought and idea was for each of the different brands. So I love that pitch because, you know, we had bubble machines for Hubba Bubba in one room, which was, you know, the, the headquarters to the bubble resistance where kids were trying to make sure that you could hang on to bubble gum blowing. You had... Uh, the old school brands so like Juicy Fruit, which was more retro, mm. and we were talking about how you can bring back some retro ideas from the 70s and 80s, so like roller discos. So we had people roller skating in one of the meeting rooms. And I just remember, you know, we had some really senior people that got involved and everybody was, you know, part of the team to try and help us win it. And I just remember one of our directors at the time with his roller skates on falling over on the way out and me just shutting the door and carrying <laughs> on and presenting. So that was one just because I think creativity had been allowed to unleash and the whole agency was part of it. There was uh, once said that you were looking at, I think, when Mediacom to get rid of job titles as that would help. <laughs> yes, you can thank my producer. Um, but it's, uh, you know, you wanted to get rid of those titles because it's meant to obviously alleviate that kind of hierarchy and structure yeah. that you said that would prevent people from being their best selves to doing their best work, mm. living their best lives. But it didn't happen. Are you glad you didn't do that? Because flat structures also have issues in the same way. Look, um, I was running Mediacom at the time of that and I was looking at the John Lewis model of everyone being a partner. And whereas I think internally it would have helped, um, externally clients sometimes want to make sure that they're speaking to the boss. Now, for me, that doesn't necessarily mean a job title. Mm. Uh, for me, it means the person that can make things happen um, is the leader or the boss. And a job title shouldn't have to add credibility to that. But it, it's, it's important externally. Um, Internally, I just think we spend too much time as businesses uh, debating hierarchy rather than just getting on with doing brilliant work. Um, and so for me, it's one of the areas, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, you can call me what you like, it's literally, I don't really mind what my title is, it's about what I do, but that's not the same for everyone else. So, and I recognise that. So part of me has some regret, but actually, it's about how does it play for a client journey? What's best for a client? And titles tend to work for a client as well as making sure they've got the right talent. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining My us pleasure. today. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Global Change Agents with me, Liana Brinded, produced by Yahoo Finance UK. A full version of this interview can be found at yahoo.co.uk forward slash change agents. And for more information, go to uk.finance.yahoo.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.